What's up, Grace Church? My name is Sean, I'm the pastor here, and I'm really glad that you guys are joining us. For those of you who are in Braintree, thank you guys for being a part of us also. Uh, so we are uh, one church meeting in two locations for now, uh, in, in, uh, uh, here in Avon, there in Braintree, and by God's grace, in September, we'll also be uh, in Bridgewater with Pastor Stephen and, and his crew. Uh, so we're really, really excited about that. We have a long way to go to catch up with the Haitian church planters, though. They are stinking killing it. Uh, keep praying for our team uh, uh, there right now and uh, uh, Pastor Lenny and uh, the churches that we sponsor in Haiti uh, that we're going to be visiting this next week. There's a couple of those church plants uh, out in rural areas around Port-au-Prince um, that, that are, were, still have not recovered since the earthquake. And uh, the, for the children that live in the neighborhoods around those churches that we're helping to fund, uh, the only like balanced meal that they get every single day is the, day, the, 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 the meal that Grace Church pays for. So for those of you guys who have uh, carved out of your budget margin to put God first in your resources, I want to say thank you, uh, both here in Avon and there in Braintree, for your generosity, uh, because your giving is actually making a difference around the world and people's lives that we won't even meet on this side of eternity. So it, it just matters. And um, I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Uh, we are uh, in the second week of a five-week series called uh, This Is Us. Uh, it doesn't follow, you may have recognized this from last week, it doesn't follow the TV show at all. So some of you guys may have been disappointed. You thought we were going to show video clips or something. Uh, but I, from what I understand, I don't watch the show. Uh, you cry a lot. Am I right? I've already got too much of that in my life as it is. So I, I cry too easily. Um, so I, I don't know if, like, I, that's the reason why I don't listen to country music. Uh, it's, it's a true statement. Uh, well, I mean, it's of the devil. But outside of that... Country music, I'm just kidding, it's not, kind of, um, but it's too emotionally heavy for me. It's always talking about, you know, you're, like they've got a song, Waiting on a Woman, like I've heard that song, I started crying on that one, and there's a song about a daddy and his love for his daughter, I started crying on that one, and I was like, I don't have, I don't have that much energy to put into casual radio listening, so I, I don't. Listen, I don't even know how I got started on country music. Can we move on past country? Oh, the TV show, This Is Us, uh, being too emotionally draining, like country music. There we go. We're back on track. All right. So we're talking about this. This is, uh, this is, this is who we are as, as a church family. This is what matters to us. Uh, last week, we started with baptism because those who are, now, now while it's true that everybody is created by God, not everybody is a child of God. Uh, there comes, as in the words of Jesus that we talked about, there is a moment when you are spiritually non-existent to when you are spiritually made alive. Jesus told the religious leaders of his day who had been physically born, had uh, been raised as, as uh, Jewish followers of Jehovah God, that, that while you've been physically born, there needs to come like a spiritual birth moment, like a, a moment when you go from unborn to being born, that we, Jesus also compares it to a marriage. So there's a, a, a moment when you're not married, and then there's a moment when you are, and that all is surrounded around those two baby little words, I, I do, right? So that I do changes everything about your relationship status on Facebook, but it doesn't really quantifiably change what you knew about the person you said I do to. So uh, 
I didn't quantifiably love Billie Jane more five seconds after I said I do than before I had said it, but everything about our relationship status changed. So, um, uh, and, and that, that all-in moment that changed my relationship status with my wife, that all-in moment also changes my, our, our relationship with God. Um, Satan believes in God. Satan believes in Jesus. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Uh, J- Satan believes Jesus was, was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. The truth is, Satan believes in Jesus more than anybody else in this room. Like, he's never even doubted the existence of God, but you and I probably have, right? At least I have. Like, I've, I've doubted the truthfulness of the Bible. Satan's never doubted the truthfulness of the Bible. Like, he, he knows where that comes from. But the difference between me and him is that my relationship status changed when I want, went all in. And I let go of the person that I used to be as a single man the day I put on the wedding ring. And in the same way, I let go of the person I was outside of a relationship with God the day that I was baptized underwater after going all in. And that's, that's what we talked about last weekend uh, at Grace Church in both locations was baptism and the significance of that. The question now is, uh, what happens what happens next? Like, like what, 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 what do we do now that we're in that household of faith, as the Apostle Paul calls it? Um, and truthfully, the answer to that question isn't cha- shaped. It really isn't. It's not shaped by your relationship status with God. It's shaped, now, it should be, but it's not. It's shaped by our values. Like, you, you, there are people who, I, I honestly believe, and because I've experienced it, where I have been, uh, like, I, I told you guys, I, I kind of went all in when I was, like, nine. And while, as a nine-year-old, I, I didn't, you know, comprehend uh, all that this new relationship with God through faith in Jesus was going to entail, that's when the relationship started. I told you that when I turned 13, started becoming more abstract in my thinking, knew that there's more of me that needed to be given over to God. And, and so I did that just as a faithful child, child of, of, of God. But, but I, I wish I could say that the moment God's Holy Spirit became a part of my life, that from then on, I never struggled with being a jerk ever again. Because I haven't ever been a jerk ever again since then. Just don't talk to my wife or my kids or anybody that actually knows me. And you might believe that's true. But the, what, what shapes my, my decisions is not my relationship status with God. It's my values. And my values are the things that are important to me that come together and make up a filter through which all of my decisions are made. Right? So for those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus, that question should start with, like, what, what should we do next? It should start with, what does the Bible say? But it doesn't. Not always. I mean, it should. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Often it's, what is the easiest? What is easiest? What is the cheapest route? What causes me the least amount of discomfort? What's most popular? What will other people think? What fits into my budget? Am I the only one who, like, like I have competing values. Does anybody else here? Raise your hand if you have competing values, both locations. If you ever struggle, right. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who God used to write over half of the New Testament, said, the things that I know I should do, I have the hardest time doing. And the things I know I shouldn't do are the easiest thing for me to do. So if you struggle with doing the right thing, and, and for me, the issue isn't always, now sometimes it is, but the issue isn't most of the time that I don't know what's right and wrong. The issue is that something else is just more important to me than doing what's right right now. Because sometimes doing the right thing 
isn't easy, doesn't fit into my budget, is not popular, not convenient, and would make me uncomfortable. That's why you and I will be tempted and often do lie. Or, right? Or, or, or what? Lose our temper or are, are driven by our fear because we're afraid of something. We don't trust. Like, we, we know God's watching out for us. We just don't feel like it sometimes. And so our, our feel. So those, 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 those values become the filter through which all decisions are made. And what I wanted to talk about today is the number one filter through which all of us who have become devoted followers of Jesus ought, ought to run our decisions through. And that, that, that question is, what, what does the Bible say? So if there's one thing I want you to get from this weekend's teaching, it's that the number one question you can ask facing any decision, a, a, a dating choice, uh, where you go on the weekend, who you hang out with, uh, what you should do at a party, how you, how you set your budget, uh, what job you take, where you move, who you marry. The number one question that should be the very first thing through which all of our choices are filtered is the question, what does the Bible say? Um, even Jesus himself, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the Bible talks about before he was baptized, even Jesus himself asked the question, what does the Bible say? Because to push off the temptation to do wrong, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we're tempted, yet without sin. And the very first response Jesus had to every single temptation that he struggled with was this, what does the Bible say? And he quoted a scripture that directly affected the outcome of the choice that he was given. And I know that every single weekend at Grace Church, there are two types of people here. There's, there's the person who is not committed in a relationship with God, and there are those who are in that committed relationship with God by faith in, in Jesus. And, and we're in different degrees of that. Some of us who are not in a committed relationship with Jesus, it's not that you're like a bad person or anything like that. Uh, like, like you, 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 you like, you maybe get some of the story, you might believe in God, but you ain't going to be all about it yet, Right? Um, or, or maybe some of us are getting closer to that, but just that, that all-in thing scares you or others of you. Um, you're kind of like, you're only in this for as much as it's practically able to help you live a better version of your own life that you want to live. And, and at any point, if it, if it takes you off track from where you want to go, you're, you're going, so, so maybe you're just like, there's a lot of practice, and, and truthfully, there's a lot of things in the scriptures that work, whether you're a believer or a follower of Jesus or not, because it's just the way that God set up, set up the world. So maybe that's where you're at, or maybe you are on that, I'm all in side, but, but maybe you know, you're like, I'm a, I'm, I've been 100% married, but been a horrible husband, right? So maybe you're 100% a child of God, but right now you're completely disobedient. You're being a total jerk about it, right? And others of us are really growing in that. So we got people in, like all over the, the map. And, and so my goal on the weekend is not to exclude either group. Um, so I feel like in every single weekend teaching, there needs to be one takeaway for the person who's not committed in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus yet, and there needs to be one application for the person who is. Now, I can't cover a specific application for every varying degree of this side or every varying shade of this side. I, I can't do that. I, I, I try to pick one that I think would apply to most, and then, then you guys are supposed to take that and say, okay, here's how that fits me and what I, what I, what I ought to do next, and this weekend isn't any different. So when talking about this is us, those of us who've, who've turned from, from our personal disobedience towards God, selfishness towards our fellow man, to begin following after the ways of Jesus, those of us who've transferred our faith and trust off of our own awesomeness, 
uh, recognizing that I'm never going to be innocent, only Jesus was, simply asking Jesus to make us right with God, we're brought into a, a relation we're brought into a relationship with God. Uh, the, the Bible says then in every case in the book of Acts that those people are then baptized and then brought into a church family. And the reason why being part of a church family matters to God is that he doesn't want any orphans. Like you have a father, you're just not connected to his family. And none of us can live healthy spiritual lives on our own because all of us drift. Every one of us drift. That's why you need a workout partner. That's, that's why you have to turn in your, your, your receipts because, I mean, like your bosses know this. You know this when it comes to your physical health. Like every one of us tend to drift into bad places on our own. We all need backup. You especially need spiritual backup. God knows this. That's why he brings you into his family. So while, while this series is specifically addressing the values that shape the decisions of those of us who claim to be a part of us, I don't want to leave out those who aren't there yet. I, I play basketball on Thursday night, Thursday nights at the at the Y. Um, it's not that I'm awesome or anything. It's a 35 and older league. All right, it's 35 and older league, and uh, at at 48, I'm actually on the younger half of that. And uh, I tell you what, those dudes on the walker cannot stop my post move. <laughs> I've got a I've got a drop step move on the low post that I, like seriously, they drop their crutches every time. It's amazing. Um, and then I missed the layup right after that. But um, there's a, okay, not, not some, well, some, I was going to say that's not true. Some of that might be true. Right, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's a, that's a side detail. Uh, the point is, is this past Thursday night, um, there's a guy who is on my, I'm on my team this, this session. And uh, they're at like 10 week long series, uh, uh, sessions, uh, uh, whatever. Um, and uh, terribly funny and uh, got a terrible mouth. <laughs> Uh, uh, like if, if, if there was like a, like a bleep machine, um, it'd be like a whole lot of bleeps and probably more bleeps than real words that would actually go through. So anybody, but he's very funny. I, I genuinely, I genuinely like the guy. We're not like boys or nothing. Like we don't know each other that, that way yet, but like, you know, we could be like, maybe some, like, like I like the guy. It's not like we're like, you know, buddies or anything, but he's cool. Um, and we get along pretty well, and, uh, you know, I could be a friend, right? Um, so anyway, we just kind of, we hit it off a little bit before and after the games, and we have for, like, a, a couple of sessions now. So we're finally on the same team. Uh, his daughter was walking through the Y on Thursday night, and he introduced me to his daughter and, and said, this is, he's a pastor. And, uh, like, 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 she goes, okay. She goes, would well, you know what a pastor, like a pastor, he, he preaches the word of God. And, like, he was... He was talking to his daughter, expecting her to think this was a big, big deal, and, and she couldn't give a rat's butt, to be honest with you, <laughs> at all, and so I was a little offended. Um, not, not, I wasn't at all, I'm just kidding, but, but, but she, didn't, she, did, she didn't get it at all, and, and that was, it was kind of like religious of him to do that, right? So I felt like he kind of opened up the door a little bit, so we start walking out the Y together, and I just said, so, like, our... Are you are you are you religious? Like, do you go, do you go to church anywhere? And he's like, Oh, no, no, not 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 at all. I said, Well, have you, your daughter didn't because like she didn't know what a pastor was. I said, So do you got do you ever take your daughter to church? He goes, No, uh, uh-uh, she's 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 never been. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and and I'm thinking because like he he knows stuff because uh, he's been giving me crap about being a preacher for like six months now, and like he's giving me very specific crap about very specific things about Christians. So. He's been around them before, so I, you know, just asked some 
Just some exploratory questions. I'm not looking to get into debate, not trying to win him to team Jesus or nothing. I just want to start, a, he started the conversation. My job is to what? Just keep the conversation going. So I said, you know, were you raised in church? And he had, you know, grandparents that had him. I don't want to give too much detail uh, about his life because I feel like some of that was shared in confidence. And I haven't given you enough of a description that you would know who he is anyway. Um, but, but he made the comment. He said, uh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, and I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't believe in the Bible. Because, uh, like, I don't know why I should just believe a bunch of stuff that a bunch of guys just wrote down in a book. Uh, was, was, where, was where he went. And um, which seemed like an odd contradiction to me, that you could believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which is in the Bible, but you don't believe the Bible. So I feel like there's parts and pieces, but the idea that he would question whether or not he should, his entire life should revolve around what's in this book or not, I felt was a legitimate concern, right? Um, and not that anything else was illegitimate, he just has a, he has a different perspective because he's walked a different path, and I, I, I get that. I, 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 and I don't think that he's outside of God's love or God's grace, like I... I feel that God's actively at work in his life because he keeps bringing up religion every time we're, like, there's other things I do besides preach. Like, we can have normal conversations about stuff, but, but that's not where he wants to go. So I, I feel like, 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 like God, I don't know where this is going to go. I'm just along for the ride, and if it doesn't go anywhere, that's, I, I can still be his friend because he's a cool guy, um, and, and I like hanging out with him. Um, but the idea that, that the Bible might not be everything Christian says it is, is, is I, I think, a, a common concern. And so that's what I want to address first. So like I said, I, I want to address both halves of, of spirituality today. And, uh, and I think that my friend on my basketball team represents a legitimate concern for those who aren't yet committed uh, followers of Jesus yet. Does that make sense? Um, so if that's where you happen to find yourself, I'm going to pretend uh, that while, while you've never shared that with me personally, and you might not, especially in a church, because you think that that would be like, you know, like, I don't know, God would strike you or I don't know why you wouldn't share that. But, it, but if you didn't, um, then maybe you're just glad that somebody else shared that with me so I could maybe at least consider your, your perspective. Um, so, and, and I've talked about this before. I, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus, primarily not because it's in the Bible, but because of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And we've, I've talked about that a lot over the last two weeks, so I'm not going to spend any, any extra time on, on, on that. Uh, but I, 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 I believe the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus, not because it's in the Bible, but because it's backed up by so much historical evidence. Now, we kind of camped out on that a little bit uh, on Easter, and then that was the whole teaching for Easter last year. So if this is your first weekend uh, at Grace, number one, I'm glad you're here. Number two, I'll point you to our uh, website. We can go listen to last Easter's teaching if this is the most important part to you. But, but the thing uh, about the resurrection of Jesus, and I, and I talked about this also, one of the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus is the spread of the belief that Jesus had resurrected from the dead during the lifetime of eyewitnesses. And truthfully, they had begun writing what we know as the New Testament 
while those eyewitnesses were still alive. And when it became a minority persecuted religion within the Roman Empire, if they had gotten one detail wrong in any of their written records of the story, Christianity would have been debunked before it ever got outside of Jerusalem. Now, one of the evidences that we know that it was being written during the lifetime of eyewitnesses is something that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He told one of the guys that he was mentoring, his name was Timothy. You can read this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I believe it's like 11, 12, or 13. It's, it's towards, I want to say that's towards the back half of that chapter. But he told Timothy, he said, meet me in, and I can't remember the name of the city where he told him to meet me in. But he said, meet me in that city and bring with you the letters. The scrolls is, is actual, the actual, the Greek word that was used there is translated as the scrolls, the, the letters, the, the writings that were already being collected as being historically reliable accounts of the life of Jesus and everything that was happening to them since he had resurrected from the dead. So that right there tells me that, the, that Paul wasn't the only one writing about the stuff that had happened in the life of Jesus and the things that God's Holy Spirit was telling them and the church throughout the Roman Empire, but that other people were writing those also. And we, we've got like the book of Matthew was written by a disciple of Jesus. Mark was written by uh, a really cool thing. And this is one of the reasons why I believe, by the way, I haven't always believed the Bible was 100% true. I've come to that conclusion now because of the evidence, but I haven't always believed that. One of the neat little details I like in the book of Mark is that in his account, and by the way, uh, Mark was a young man who was, his mom and his grandmother were followers of Jesus, um, and he was just a little kid who used to hang out with all the older disciples, and like, you know, like, so like know that those guys were like their heroes, his heroes and everything. Um, he ends up becoming like the sidekick for the apostle Peter uh, later on in life, and we know this from extra-biblical sources that's not in the Bible we we just know that from other historical evidence that he he was kind of like being mentored by Peter and in his account of the arrest of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified Mark gives this random detail remember he's the son and grandson of two of the women who are devoted followers of Jesus with the disciples um, and he used to tag along with them but in the book of Mark in his account of the resurrection excuse me of the of the arrest of Jesus in the garden he tells a story of a little boy who was watching the arrest of Jesus in the trees, who then has a soldier grab him by the jacket, and he squirms out of the jacket and runs off into the night naked. That's a pretty random detail. Why is that even in there? Who is that little boy who got busted by the cops and took off naked into the night? Who do you think it was? Mark. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, I, I love, like, little things in there. Like, it doesn't help this. Like, those little things like that, like, it's all over the place. It's just one of the things that, to me, confirms the historical narrative of, of the biblical account of, of the life of Jesus. I mean, that's not the proof I wanted to give you. The only point I wanted to tell you is that it was written by eyewitnesses. And if they had, if they had gotten a detail wrong, it would have been debunked and nobody would have, nobody would have, have, would have believed it. Um, 
Uh, so then the question to me is, what if it's been changed since then? So if it was originally being written and, and, and everybody in those days accepted it, what if it's true, as some people assert, that over the course of centuries, people have added things into the uh, historical account of the life of Jesus, things like his resurrection, things like uh, uh, um, um, uh, his deity, that Jesus is God who shows up in the flesh. What if, what if, what if all of the eyewitnesses confirmed what was originally there, and at some point, uh, church leaders or uh, people who are wanting to manipulate the masses through religion got together and then, and then added, they, they left all the historically accurate part, but then they added extra detail into the story to boost up the idea that Jesus is, is God so that people would then believe that and then, then there's, and then our interpretation of this, so then, then the masses would have to believe them. So number one, it started being copied right away during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. For, so for that to have, like, like for that to have happened, they, it, they would have had to collect thousands of different copies of these different narratives of the life of Jesus that had been spread all over the Roman Empire, bring them all into one place, and then destroy all of the ones that disagreed so that they could change it and then make sure everybody gets back now a copy of this one, um, the one that we've, we've artificially changed. And we'd have to do this in such a way so that like everybody who knew that we had changed it wouldn't get upset with us. So number one, I think there's some serious logistical issues with that, but that's not even the most compelling evidence for me that the New Testament Testament, the, the narrative hasn't changed at all. Uh, the, the evidence for it is the, the bibliographical test, which is what every piece of ancient literature is, is given. So when you find a, a, an, an ancient document, like, like, like the, US, the U.S. Constitution, we, we know what the original writers of the, 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 uh, the founders of our country wrote in the U.S. Constitution because we have handwritten copies of the Constitution in existence, Right? But what if we didn't have, like, what if the originals, like, how many are there left? Like, like 11, 12? Um, somebody could watch that treasure movie again, and we could find out how many. What was that? National treasure. You could find out how many copies of the, the U.S. Constitution. Exist. But if all of those were destroyed, uh, how could we know that what we have as a record of the U.S. Constitution is what they originally uh, wrote? And, and that's what they do with all pieces of ancient literature. If it's not a handwritten copy... How do we know that the oldest copy we have is what was originally written? Does that make sense? So this is, there's actually a science to this. What they do is they find all of the ancient manuscripts that agree, and then they take the oldest copy. So if the oldest copy of all of the manuscripts that agree, they want to find out how long after the original was, was this one written. So if it's not a handwritten copy, if it's a, if it's a copy... Of the original, how much time has there been? You remember the telephone game in second grade? Like the first kid's going to get the teacher's sentence right. Second, like if the first kid's a moron, nobody else even has a chance, right? How many of you guys, were you, anybody here? Raise your hand, both locations. If you were that moron, raise your hand. If you, if no one's going to do that, probably raise their hand. Um, and if you are, I'm not even going to call you out. So, um, but like if everybody tried to get the story, right, the teacher tells that sentence and they whispers it and then they whisper it and they whisper it. And they whisper it. You want to get as close as you can to that first chair. Like if you don't have the actual teacher in the room, if you don't have the actual handwritten copy, if all you have is a copy of the original, you want to get as close to the first chair as you can. Does that make sense? 
So we want to find all of the ancient manuscripts that agree and how many chairs after the original is it. So all I'm going to do with you, and, 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 I, and we deal with this every other summer. We talked about this last summer, and we're going to deal with it not this summer, but then summer of 2019, we'll deal with it again. So I'm not going to go into all of the evidence on why I believe the Bible is, is true. I, I'm just wanting to acknowledge the fact that there are people in this room right now in both locations who, who may not be confident that the Bible is, is reliable. So it's out of respect for your opinion that I'm doing a little bit of this review for, uh, in, in front of the rest of us. Uh, but, but to summarize it briefly, I'll, I'll share with you how other pieces of literature stack up. How many of you guys have ever heard of uh, Plato, right? Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Plato, raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. All right, Socrates, excuse me, Plato. Uh, the, uh, there are seven ancient manuscripts that agree in existence today, and the oldest one was written 1,200 years after Plato actually existed. So, and you won't find a single ancient literature professor who will deny that what we have today is exactly what Plato wrote. Why? Because of the evidence. What's the evidence? There are seven manuscripts that agree, and the oldest one was only written 1,200 years after 1,200 years after, after Plato. Uh, next one is Aristotle. He was a disciple or a, a student of, of Plato. Uh, raise your hand, both locations, if you've heard of Aristotle. Just want to make sure everybody's awake. All right. Um, there are 49 copies of, of his writings in existence, that, which is way more than Plato's. So there's 49 ancient manuscripts that all 100% agree. But the oldest one was written 1,400 years after Aristotle lived. Uh, but you won't find an ancient literature professor anywhere in the world who will doubt that we have today what was originally written. Why? Because of the evidence. What's the evidence? 49 manuscripts, but a time gap of 1,400 years. And I'm going to skip a whole lot of them. I'm going to go straight to second place. Second place is Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Homer is who Matt Gronig named Homer Simpson after. You can Google that, all right? Um, but, but Homer's Iliad and Odyssey uh, is, is the second most historically verifiable uh, piece of ancient literature in existence today because there are almost 500, I believe there's 493 ancient manuscripts that agree 100%, uh, and the oldest one was only written 500 years after Homer actually lived. And I said that that's the second most historically verifiable document because in, in first place, wearing the, brown, the black leather trunks with the silver trim and a black tassel uh, would be the New Testament. And there are 24,000. Second place had 493. First place has over 24,000 ancient manuscripts that agree with each other. And the oldest one was only written 25 years, not 500 years, 25 years after the original. The point I'm trying to make is that if you're cool with the idea that they would have had to get the details right because they were writing them down during the lifetime of eyewitnesses who would have debunked them if they'd gotten it wrong, and so maybe you're uncomfortable with the stuff that's in there because you feel it might have been added. That's how you let yourself off the hook. What I'm telling you is that the evidence is stacked a mile high against that idea. What I know for a fact is what I'm holding in my hand right now is exactly, is exactly what they wrote. And it hasn't been changed. And I know that not because I'm religious, but because I'm a rational adult who understands evidence, not proof, evidence, right? Just like you, just like you. 
But what I'm saying is that the evidence says that this book has not been changed. Here's the other thing. So it was written during the lifetime of eyewitnesses. When it became a, a minority persecuted religion, if they'd gotten it wrong, it would have been debunked. And if they knew they were lying about it, they definitely wouldn't allow themselves to be tortured to death rather than admitting that they were making it up. So that doesn't make any sense either. I'm just saying the evidence would lend itself towards a rational conclusion that as improbable as you might feel the details of the Bible are, the most probable explanation for the evidence that we actually see in the world is that they got the story right. Another thing, and this is a little one, and then we're just going to move right on. I'm going to move from this side to, to this side of the conversation, then for get on with this whole this is us part of it. And, and, and uh, that is that every single piece of archaeological evidence and extra biblical resources throughout all of history and everywhere in the world only corroborates the details that's in the book. There's no archaeological evidence that contradicts the biblical narrative. I'm just saying if this stuff was made up, they didn't get anything wrong? Like nothing? Like even non-religious people use the biblical narrative, both Old and New Testament, to find new undiscovered civilizations, population centers, towns, and villages. Because they understand how historically accurate the biblical narrative is. My point is, is while I haven't always wholeheartedly believed that the Bible was 100% true, it was my skepticism that led to study, which then confirmed because of the evidence that it had been right all along. I'm not saying you have to get there. I'm just saying that's how I got there. That's, that's how I got here. So then the Bible becomes the number one authority on not only the life of Jesus, but also the historical account of the way that God has interacted with mankind throughout all of written history. So Jesus comes along and then says in Matthew chapter 7, and by the way, he said this in front of a crowd of thousands, most of whom did not accept what he had had to say at the time. And if he hadn't have said what this book says that he says, it would have been discounted and would have been used to prove that Jesus wasn't who they said he was. So again, the fact that Christianity kept spreading during the lifetime of eyewitnesses only reaffirms that when Matthew says Jesus said this, it's actually what he said. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, Jesus is telling the story, and he says, those who hear what I say and then rearrange their lives around what I say are like people who build their house on a solid rock foundation. But those who hear the things that I say and don't make a conscious choice to rearrange their entire lives around my teaching are people who build a house without ever laying a foundation first. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're a handyman or not, uh, but I, I do know that if you went into a house that you wanted to buy and the foundation was cracked, crooked, or leaning, you probably wouldn't buy it. I don't think you have to be a construction ninja to, to notice that that's... And what he says is, is that people who... Know what I say and don't rearrange their lives around what I'm saying are people who are building their house not on crooked foundations, on no foundation at all. And over the course of time, he says, your whole house will fall apart. And obviously, he's not talking about a house. He's talking about your life. So this is why, for those of us 
who are us, for those of us who've turned from our disobedience towards God, selfishness towards others, begin following Jesus, is the number one reason why we make this the number one value that drives the decisions that we make. The one filter through which all other filters must pass through is because this is the one thing that Jesus said will guarantee that my life will matter. This is the one thing that keeps my life centered. This is the one thing that guarantees that I get to be the person that God intended me to be before I, my mom and dad ever dreamed me up. This is the one thing above everything else. If I take the teachings that God gives me and I let that be the number one filter through which everything else passes through, he says, I'm the kind of guy who builds my house on a rock. And when the storms come, my house stays standing. Why? Because I built it on the right thing. What thing? His teachings. That's why the number one question any one of us should ask is, what does the Bible say? What about my sexuality? What does the Bible say? What about my finances? What does the Bible say? What about immigration? What does the Bible say? What about taxes and government? What does the Bible say? What about marriage? What does the Bible say? What about parent? Did I say parenting? Okay, parenting. <laughs> Insert your biggest issue here. What is it? Our number one filter is, what does the Bible say? And I know, I know that God's never been popular. So since I am biblically centered, I know that I'm not politically centered. And I like that about our church. Do you like that about our church? Like I follow on Facebook. I know there are communists in here. And they're, you know, borderline. You're like, you know, like way out there on the socialist spectrum, right? And there are others of you, like, like, You've got fortresses and like weapons, munition stations. Like you are right-wing Tea Party. Like the Tea Party is too liberal for you. You're way. You're, and what I love is that you're both here at Grace Church. And I know you ain't Facebook friends. Because you wouldn't be sitting next to each other. <laughs> I'm just saying that if we're biblically driven, we're not politically driven. We're not culturally driven because the, the, if, if we try to be culturally centered, that's a moving target because the culture constantly changed what it values. And the church would always lag 10, 15, 20 years behind. But this book won't change. And this book is the one by which I will be judged by. Not TMZ. So I want to pass the standards of this book. Right? You see what I'm saying? But that's why we're biblically centered as a church family. But we can no more be biblically centered as a church family than you are biblically centered as an individual part of this church family. Does that make sense? Isaiah chapter 40 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, That heaven and earth pass away, but my words never will. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 says, God gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. This is the source of knowledge and understanding from God's perspective, is God's word. Psalm 119, 130, the teaching of your word gives light, so even simple people can understand what's right. Luke chapter 11 verse 28 says, even more blessed are all of those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. 
Uh, how can I start, like, like some of us have addictions to sin, right? And I'm not just talking about chemical addictions because for some of that is that is your sin. Some of us have an addiction to greed. Some of us have an addiction to more. Some of us have an addiction to, to lust. Some of us have an addiction to, to uh, the bitterness that we've just always been a part of who we are. How do we finally get over some of this stuff? The next verse tells us, Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not keep sinning against you. That's what Jesus did. So when he was tempted by Satan to, to, to sin in the wilderness, the first thing he did was as he quoted scriptures that dealt with the area of temptation that he had memorized at some earlier date. And truthfully, for some of you, the biggest breakthrough that you'll ever experience in your life is when you begin to memorize Bible verses that deal with your addiction to whatever sin is your pet. And, and you won't get free of it until then. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and this kind of summarizes, for those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus, why the Bible is our number one determining factor on what decisions we make. Uh, this is why we're Bible-centered. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Study this book. Medi keep it up. Uh, meditate on it day and night. Uh, know everything that's written in it because only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. I know from the rest of Scripture that I will stand before God and give an account for the life that I live, and so will you. And our life success will be filtered through from God's perspective whether or, we not, whether or not we followed the words and teachings he gave us. This is why we are biblically centered above all else. This is why, listen, I wouldn't let temporary American politics keep somebody eternally separated from God. We get one shot to talk to people on a weekend. I'm going to talk to them about what mo what's most important. And what's most important is not which party they affiliate with for politics. It's how they will stand before God on Judgment Day. And truthfully, what you do about that decision now has tangible real-life benefits or drawbacks to the life you're living on this side of eternity. So here's what I'm going to do. It tells us that we need to study the Bible. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So if you've got a piece of paper, if you got one of the communication cards when you walked in, you thought you weren't going to need it, today you did. Grab a pen, turn over your communication card. I'm going to teach you how you can study the Bible for yourself, all right? I'm going to give you practice right here, right here in church. You're going to get practice on how to do a Bible study right now, all on your own. It's a very simple way to do this, uh, and it's a way that I would encourage anybody to just start. Now, if, if this is like, like, you, like you, you go, okay, I'll try this in church because you're kind of making us, but this ain't my thing. If you go to that'sgrace.org slash Bible, uh, we have, we have uh, uh, Bible, Bible reading plans, uh, Bible reading plans that, that are based on different types of addictions. You can, you can say, like, like, what do you struggle with? Like, what's your issue? Maybe your, maybe your issue is anger. You can go to that'sgrace.org slash Bible, click on the anger, like that, the, the, the anger hyperlink, and it'll take you to a reading plan in the Bible that deals just with the stuff you struggle with. All right, now we're, we're constantly building this because we want to add more. There are, there are eight-minute video summaries on there on how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, like, like like what is it like like what like explain the Bible to me in one eight minute video like the whole overarching narrative all of that's on there so there's there's video tutorials uh, that are that are animated video tutorials. like we're gonna like
like, we're making it. It's, there's crayons you can access on our webs. Okay, not really. I'm just saying. We're trying to make this as absolutely easy as possible. Because if we don't help you to become people of the book, you become people who don't live by it. And if the only teaching you get from the Bible is from me on Sunday, that is essentially, just so you know, it's like me as a mama bird eating the food, regurgitating it, and me spitting it into your open mouth. Paul says, some of you as followers of Jesus, all you ever do is just drink milk uh, of, of the word. You never got to the meat eating stage because you never learned to feed yourself. So for your sake, for your marriage, for your emotional, spiritual health, you need to learn to read the Bible in between weekends and know how to do something with it. So that's what I'm going to show you really quick. So what I do is I recommend people to open up the book of, the, the book of John. It's one of the four narratives of the life of Jesus. The reason why a lot of people, I think, recommend the book of John to start with is because John is the one that's most dissimilar to the other three narratives of the life of Jesus. So those are referred to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like the Beatles of the Bible, all right? It's like the four guys, right? Um, so you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They cover a lot of the same material just from different angles. John covers the most stuff that the other three guys never included. Not because it didn't happen, but because John had more access to Jesus than any of the disciples did. John puts in there some private conversations that the other G disciples didn't even know about because they didn't hang out with Jesus as much to ask those questions. John did. So it's the most, uh, the most unique of the four narratives of the life of Jesus, the four Gospels. So I would recommend starting in the book of John. Read in chapter 1, and then go until you find a verse that stands out to you. So I did this today, and I went to John chapter 1, and I read, and I stopped at verses 16 and 17. So I'm going to put on the, the screen uh, John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and I want you to read it real quick, all right? It's going to be on the screen. Now let's go to verse 17. Now, if you've got a smartphone, pull up your Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, it's free. It's the, actual, it's the number one most downloaded app in the entire world, believe it or not. And, it, and it's free, and it's in new languages all the time. So if you're, uh, we have a lot of immigrants at Grace Church, and if you want to read it in your, 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 you know, your, your, home, your home country's language, I'm guaranteeing you it'll, it'll be on there. Uh, they even have Mongolian, which is kind of neat. Uh, anyway, I've got a friend that lives there, but... Uh, Here's, here's what you do. Here's, here's the first thing. So there's three, there's one, two, three, and four that you write down on the back side of your paper, right? Number one question is this. Uh, what does it say? What's the point? All right? So you got those two verses right there. If you guys would, uh, in the booth, just keep going back and forth between 16 and 17 slowly. All right? Just keep going back and forth between verse 16 and 17. The first question is, what does it say? And you're going to rewrite it in your own words, or you're going to summarize the point. What's the point? Uh, like, so for me, when I, I read this and I got to 16 and 17, there was something about those two verses that said something to me. So all I do is I just write down what it says. That's it. What's the point of those two verses? So you just write that down. You can get a composition notebook for $1.19 at CVS. Open it up. John chapter 1, verse 1 through, and I would have said 17 because that's where I stopped. And my number one would be, what's the point of those two verses? What is, what's the point? What's it saying? And I'd either rewrite it in my own words, or I would summarize it in my own words. The second question is this. Why did this matter to me? What issue does this address in my heart? Why, why do I think this stood out to me? What's the felt need? Like, what emotion does this bring up? So number one, 
What's, what's it saying? What's the point? Number two, why does it matter? Why does it matter to me? That's the second thing. So some of you guys, you might actually be doing this exercise right now, or maybe you're just writing the questions. Number one is, what does it say? Number two, what does it matter? And number three is this, what do I do with this? What's one thing I can do today as a result of what I'm getting from this verse? What's one thing I could pray? What's one thing I can remember? What's one thing I should write down? What's one thing I should, you know what I'm saying? Like, like what's the takeaway? What one actionable step do I bring from this verse? And then number four is just pray about it, whatever that was. God, thank you for making those two verses stand out in my heart. Here's why. Here's what it made me feel. It made me remember, God, that you're a generous God, that you're, you're, you're not ambivalent to my life, that you love me, that my life matters. And the reason why this matters is because sometimes I don't feel that way, and I need to be reminded of that. So here's what I'll do today. God, help me for the rest of the day to say thank you more than I ask you for anything. That's what I'm, so that's how I might would take, you see what I'm saying? So I just did like a little devotional, and believe it or not, this is how I teach every single weekend at Grace Church. I'll take a, a group of Bible verses, and I get up and I'll say, here's what this verse is saying. Now I might introduce that with a story about a friend of mine from basketball on Thursday night. Because what happened to me on Thursday night kind of brings up the subject of what these verses are talking about. And I'll read the verse, and I go, here's what that verse is saying. Here's why it matters, because some of us struggle with whether or not we should make our decisions based on what the Bible says, especially if it's not convenient, if it's painful, or if it costs me more than I want to pay. Sends me farther than I want to go. You see what I'm saying? Now what do I need to do with it? I need to actually start doing what it says. I need to spend time on a regular basis reading it and pulling something out of it for my life. Do you see what I'm saying? Even today's teaching comes from the same outline I just gave you so that you can learn to teach yourself from God's Word. All right? Now, what you do with it after today really is up to you. But for those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus, I know if we're going to actually follow Jesus, then the number one question we always ask is, what does the Bible say? Because only in following that answer and rearranging my life to match it will God say that my life was successful and prosperous. And that's a test. Homeboy plans on passing. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in each one of our lives so that your will can be done through our lives. This is what we ask you in the name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen. amen.